0: You know, we all have experiences that just really kind of go, boom, blow your mind. I will tell you about one. We were at the Jordan River baptizing, and we had four of our people uh, that were baptized in the Jordan River. Two was uh, a symbol of what they'd already done, and two was first time as adult believers. Really cool. Little otter swimming down the Jordan River. Y'all get that little otter was swimming down Jordan River? Terry got a picture of him and um, we're baptizing. This lady walks up and she talked to one of, of our folks in the tour. She said, is he a pastor? Is he a holy man? She said, yeah, he is. She came and talked to me. He said, my husband, he wants to trust Christ and, and be baptized. I said, okay, let me have a conversation with him. Had a conversation with him. He prayed with me. He trusted Christ and I baptized him. While that was happening, whoa, 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 hold on now. Well, that was happening. A little boy from Nazareth who didn't speak any English, only spoke Arabic, was watching. He asked his mother what was going on. His mother says, will you baptize him? I said, his name was Saeed. I said, the other man's name, John. Saeed, I said, no, I will not baptize Saeed until he trusts Christ. And she told Saeed that. And he looked concerned. He says, I want to trust Jesus. So I told mama what to do. And she translated my prayer to her, to him. And he trusted Christ and we baptized him. You tell me God's common. You tell me that God doesn't do supernatural and awesome things in the midst of we're going on. But here's the deal, y'all. Most of us live our lives with our heads down and not our eyes up. And we miss the glimpses of God. One of the things I challenged the pilgrims that were with me, it's to look for God glimpses. And we saw some, didn't we, y'all? Had an unbelievable experience. I thought I was gonna meet Jesus on the flight on the way back because I was hurting so bad. Folded up in air. This body does not fit in a jumbo jet. I was praying for Creflo Dollar to show up with his private plane any second now, but he, he did not. But God wants to do something so in common. God does uncommon things, and he moves it in common ways. And what he does He does it for one reason, that's to bring glory to himself. And the greatest glory that comes to himself is when a sinner repents of sin and comes into the kingdom of God. So we're going to talk about uncommon today, uncommon healing as God works. God does everything for his glory and is compelled by his love. God does it for his glory, compelled by his love. The glory of God is revealed through the redemption of you and me. But the glory of God's also revealed through creation. Did you know that? When he created the heavens and the earth and we saw amazing signs of creativity of God. Y'all, Galilee uh, in Israel looks like a garden. Beautiful flowers everywhere and fruit trees. And it's amazing how that land looks. But the psalmist says creation is finger play for God. It ain't hard for him. It says this in Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have placed, the work of your fingers, finger play. Creation was just finger play for God. But your salvation, my salvation, was the hard work of God. Isaiah the prophet said this. Who has believed what we've heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now get this, Hebrew is a language of word pictures. And when there's a descriptive phrase like this, it's not some etymology, it's a description that's packed with emotion and vision. And what he was saying, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, that he's talking about God is rolling up his sleeves in order to do the hard work of redeeming us. Creation, the finger play, redemption, the hard work. As we went through Israel and we saw the evidence that is, demands a verdict, and evidence that is compelling of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you see the glorious hard work of God redeeming the rebel race. That is us. So what does that have to do with healing? Everything. Everything. Our biggest need is healing. What? Yeah. Our biggest need is healing. Why? Because we are sick. That's why. We are sick with the sickness that leads unto death, and that is sin. And we need a redemption. We need a savior. We need a healer. We need a sanctifier. We need a savior. We need a, we need a coming king. And in this process, Jesus wants to do something in our life that changes us Listen to what Jesus said about Lazarus, who, who was, his sickness led to death. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. What? When, when Jesus showed up, Lazarus was graveyard dead, y'all. Graveyard dead. We listened to our guide talk about the, the Hebrews' thought of death that when a person died, the spirit would linger for two days. Then after three, the spirit would go into paradise. And the reason they said that, because they didn't have the scientific measure of death like we do now. They couldn't hook somebody up to a brainwave machine. They couldn't, they couldn't chase, see if their heart was still beating or they were still breathing air. When you, they waited on you to die. And made sure you were graveyard dead before they buried you. And after three days, you were graveyard dead Lazarus was already in the state of decomposition at four days and Jesus says this sickness does not lead to death why because Lazarus believed Jesus and Lazarus would never die Now Lazarus was resurrected by Christ in that glorious manifestation of God's power there at the tomb in that that city of Bethany. And he rose up from the grave and he created a great controversy. Some people cried out, Hosanna is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And others would cry, crucify him, for he blasphemes. Stupid people. And that created a controversy. And I think that Lazarus' sickness led to death, but Lazarus' sickness led to life In Christ. Now, Lazarus, get this. Lazarus moved from there in the Diaspora, the Diaspora when the Jews were dispersed, and he became bishop on the island of Crete. And he lived there with Mary and Martha until he died. He was not martyred. When Lazarus preached about death, he got a crowd because he had been there. He'd been there. But Jesus said, This will not lead to death. Jesus heard it and said, This this does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Sin is the sickness that leads to death. Our sin sick souls die an eternal death. But thanks be unto God that he is our healer and he redeems us from our sin so we can live free now and live free forever. Isn't that good news? Mm. So here's some some healing facts I want to throw out because I'm going to be talking about this uncommon healing as we go a little deeper in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 3, I've got so many thoughts racing in my head. Y'all pray for me. If y'all get everything that comes out of my head today, you will drown in just perfunctity of of what I have to say. Here's some healing facts. Healing is always based on God's sovereignty. Always. God knows who is going to repent of sin and be saved and God knows who will not repent of sin and will not be saved but in his mercy he extends it to everyone because God is not capricious in his grace. He is extravagant and lavishes grace on all. Y'all agree with that? But not all will receive it. Healing is compelled by God's mercy. God heals us because he's merciful. He's merciful. Mercy is the language of heaven. Healing is always God's doing. It is not man's doing. Y'all got that? When somebody says to you, I'm a spiritual healer, you could say liar, liar, pants on fire. Now, do some people have the gift of healing? The gift of healing? That's a strange thing to ask. God gives gifts so he may be glorified through the person he's displayed in. I think the gift of healing probably is more aptly described as the gift of intercession for those who need healing because God does the healing. Are y'all with me? That we don't do it. When you see a pastor or a preacher who says, Come here and I will heal you, you go the other direction holding on to your wallet. Y'all got it? I'm not being critical of other pastors, I'm just telling you what I think is true. Healing is always by God's power, not man's doing. Healing is always for God's glory. Here's the last thing this may hurt your brain. We have the authority to ask God for healing. We have the authority to ask God for healing. Why? Because he is our father. i to tell you something. My children never hesitate to ask me for money. Do you know why? Because I'm Papa. And we can ask God. Ask God for healing. Does a person truly have the power of healing? I think not. However, every believer has the authority to ask God to heal through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask God and God does the healing. Is that helpful? So now kind of with that out of the way, I want to go along, I want to take you on this this adventure. James chapter five, verse 13, it says, 13 through 15, it says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Any of y'all suffering? Y'all, I've walked where Jesus walked literally. And I see why Jesus had a three-year ministry, because he had to walk so much, he had to say, look, we're done with this. Get me a car or a bus or something. Because he walked all over the place, and we climbed 18 floors one day. Jerusalem is the city of stairs. And you'd round a corner, and you'd see more stairs. And then more stairs. I got tired of staring at stairs. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any one of you cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is any one among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be what? Isn't that good news? Now this word elder is an interesting word. James wrote this. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this before there was the office of elder assigned that Paul assigned to Timothy and Titus. So what is you talking about elders of church? talk talking about mature people in the faith. Now listen, some of you are old, but you're not an elder. Did you know that? You're just old. And you could tell an elder, an elder, get this, an elder in the faith is willing to lay down Their rights and privileges and preferences for the good of others. Wow. An elder in the church will maintain unity through the bond of peace. Hmm. And it says, Call for the elders of the church that those who are mature in the Lord will pray over those who are sick. Now, we have men in our church that are advisors. We have pastors, we have deacons, we have elders, we have ladies in our church who are mature. They function in that complementary role of prayer support and elder-type covering because I think men and women complement each other, not compete with one another. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I'm thankful for God for Tara. She compliments me. She corrects me. She corrals me. She cherishes me. And she often chastises me. Jesus will heal you, and I wrote this down, and because I want you to get this, Jesus will heal you not just to get you well, but he will heal you to reveal his glory to you and to those around you. You see, divine healing is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Now, With all that said, here in Acts, Peter and John are doing what they do. And what they do is they live all for Jesus. And they're doing what they do for the glory of God. They're on their way to an uncommon encounter with a beggar. They're going to the temple. They're going through the gate beautiful. And I'll talk about the gate beautiful in just a moment. This was a massive, well, I'll talk about it right now, actually. This is a massive gate. This is on the eastern side. It's the same gate that when Jesus comes back in the glorious return, he will go through the eastern gate. And it's the gate, beautiful, golden gate. It was so massive, it took 23 men to close the gate. Now, that gate is not in existence today. The, uh, when the Islam, when the, the Muslims came and they overthrew Jerusalem, they tried to erase any kind of memory of Messiah because they knew it was true. They even put a graveyard in front of the, the eastern gate because Jesus, being a rabbi, would never walk through a graveyard. So they buried their dead in front of the eastern gate, the gate, beautiful, so that they knew that Jesus wouldn't come through that gate. But here's one thing they didn't know, that under the Mount of Olives is a huge freshwater reservoir. And when Jesus comes, he's gonna put one foot on the Mount of Olives and crack it wide open, and fresh water will spew from the Mount of Olives, wash away all those graves into the Dead Sea, and he will walk through the eastern gate. Because King Jesus has got a way, y'all. You may get in his way, but Jesus has a way, and he'll make his way. And so you have this situation here, and they're going along. But here are these guys. They had encountered Christ. They'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. Boldness had come upon them. Their ignorance of fishermen had become the knowledge of the Holy One. And in the knowledge of the Holy One, they walked with their eyes fixed on Jesus with their gaze looking for what Jesus may do and what Jesus may ask them to do. They gave up their rights and their privileges. They laid aside their literal lives. For Peter was crucified upside down. John boiled in oil and thawed on the island of Patmos where he had his revelation, moved back to Turkey and the only disciple who was not martyred. They laid aside everything. And they said, we're gonna live all for Jesus. And God expects the same of you and of me, and of me. This beggar, day after day, he lay there and he was reminded of his brokenness. As he lay there, he was not allowed to go into the temple or into the community of faith. He was considered less than human, an outcast. People of that day considered anyone who was afflicted to be suffering under divine divine judgment that God had smote him. There, the sick, he was there, was sick because God was the God of judgment, therefore, he was being judged. The gift of religion is always judgment and condemnation. The gift of Jesus is grace and life and peace. Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. Remember what John wrote? For God did not send his son into the world, condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. John 3, 17. It appears that this beggar would not even make contact, eye contact with people. He lived his life on the margin. He was desperate. He was hopeless. Then two broke preachers came by and changed his world. While we were in Jerusalem, we encountered a number of beggars. Did you see? You guys saw the beggars, right? What y'all didn't know, Papa was behind you with $1 bills. And I would give to the beggar, and this is what they would do. They would not look at me. And I would say to them, look at me, please. They would look, and I'd say, Yeshua loves you. And I gave them a dollar. One guy, I said, look at me, please. He looked at me, I said, Yeshua loves you. Will love you. He took a red ribbon and he tied it around my wrist. And then he blessed me. He blessed me. I, I guess he did. He was in Hebrew. He could have cursed me. I don't know. I just, <laughs> he said, this guy's an idiot. He just gave me money. And then later, another beggar saw me with the red bracelet. He grabbed me and then he blessed me. Not asking for anything. You see, the greatest need of your life and my life is to be seen to know and be known. And Jesus comes along and he sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And we as representatives of King Jesus, we should go out through our lives with our eyes up, seeing and knowing and loving. Offer King Jesus. Let's pray and let's look at this passage. Y'all ready? Okay, this side's ready. How about y'all? Y'all wake? All right, Father, thank you for what you're gonna say to us this morning and I pray you'll help me focus for my mind is everywhere this morning about the excitement of how you work in our lives. And I pray, Father, that you'll help me. In fact, Father, we, we don't even need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. So you speak and we will listen and we will remember and we will be changed because we've heard from you, the Holy God. We pray this in your name, amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter three. If you have it, turn it there. If not, use the Bible in front of you. It'll be on the screen. We'll read it together. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And this is typical behavior for these guys. The Jewish people would pray three times a day. The Islam, Muhammad, uh, the followers of Muhammad, uh, the Muslims will pray five times a day. They'll call you to prayer. You'll hear it broadcast over the speakers and wherever city we were. In fact, we heard it in France, even the call to prayer. A little disturbing, y'all. But that, I won't go into that. And ninth hour, and a lame man from birth was being carried. Now, listen to this. When I was reading, real reading this passage this morning, I never noticed that he was being carried. I'd always pictured this guy sitting at the gate, beautiful, with his mat and his cup. And I, hadn't you pictured the same thing? But somebody was carrying him. Somebody had entered into his misery and was bringing comfort to him. Somebody had, was placing him in his place day after day somebody believed he was not subhuman and that he was being carried. And that just jumped out at me because you know what I need to do? I need to be the carrier of the afflicted, not the condemner of the afflicted. Yes. Sorry, Tyrone's coming out. <laughs> Whom they laid at the gate of the temple they call beautiful gate and ask of alms of those who were in the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. This is where it gets fascinating. Peter directed his gaze at him. Peter saw him, directed his gaze at him, as well as John. And he said, look at us, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expected to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and no gold, but what I do have, I give to you. I don't have any silver, I don't have gold. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and he leapt up, leaping up. He stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and what? Wow. Is that crazy or what? It didn't say, if you have faith, you get well. I said, get up, get up. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who said the beautiful gate of the temple and asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement that this had happened to him. What happened to him? He's leaping and he was leaping and running and praising God. Remember that song from kids' day? And he, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. It had nothing to do with his faith. Had nothing to do with his Sunday school attendance. Had nothing, but Christ stepped into the moment, and I read this and I'm amazed at this. It's an uncommon day. A day became very, a common day became very uncommon. Peter and John had no idea that they would be used in this way. They didn't wake up that morning going, "Hey, let's go find somebody to heal." They didn't. In fact, if you read the really the account of Peter and John, their life was intentionally unintentional. Their intent was to live all for Jesus. The unintentionality of it was they said yes to Jesus before he asked them what to do. They lived with their hands continually extended to Jesus. What would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? I learned a long time ago that Jesus wants my yes before he asks me what he wants me to do. Y'all got that? That he wants me to say yes to him. I would not be in Wimberley, Texas today had I not said yes to Jesus years ago. Some of y'all said, well, I wish I'd have kind of caught you before then. <laughs> but it's that expression of believing. They understood that physical healing was effective in ushering in the kingdom of God because they watched Jesus do it. That Jesus would go into a village and he would meet their needs. He would heal their sick. He would fill their stomachs. He would encourage their souls and he would usher in the kingdom of God. When I hear preachers saying, you ought not to preach on felt needs. You ought to preach verse by verse through scripture. And Dr. Cheatham, this is what I've understood about a lot of verse by verse preachers. They'll preach verse by verse and quickly depart from it and preach their opinion instead of the message of Christ. I'm not being critical preachers. If it comes across that way, I'm not. They understood that physical healing would usher in the kingdom of God because they'd seen Jesus do it. And they were living their lives fully aware that God was at work with around them. And they would live in such a way that they were aware of God's divine appointments. That God would work a miracle should come to no surprise to us. But it does. But it does. Wyatt told me of a miracle he experienced while I was gone. And we both sat there with wonder. And why should we wonder? We should just say, King Jesus did it again. He stood again it's just normal these guys saw him as a person peter and john they saw him as a man who mattered because he had the eyes of jesus and we have a common need we need to be seen you see god reveals when he heals god reveals when he heals what does that mean Notice that Peter and John gave this guy not what he expected. He wanted some cash, and they gave him life. He he wanted some credit, and they gave him credibility. He wanted some riches, and they gave him righteousness. Y'all with me on this? And he was not expecting to be healed. I love the fact that the first thing the beggar did was lep and praised. I love that. He just jumped up and started, Hallelujah, bless God. It's hard to argue with God when the lame guy is standing beside the preacher, isn't it? In fact, that's what the Sanhedrin council said. We need to tell these guys to quit preaching. They said, it's hard to, hard to argue with that. We see that guy standing right here. In fact, if you read scripture closely, you'll notice that when the Sanhedrin called Peter and Jay, Peter and John to in front of them to chastise him for healing this guy, the guy was standing there with them. Are you going? It's <laughs> It's crazy. And the evidence is overwhelming. Peter and John leveraged the attention of the healing to point people to Jesus. They didn't leverage the attention to point them to themselves. They leveraged the attention to point people to Jesus. And they pointed to their need of their own need of healing. The whole crowd thought they were well because they were experiencing the rituals of religion. But in fact, the whole crowd was sick unto death. Their religion was leading them astray and Jesus had come to set them free. Wow. And healing is a pathway to Christ, a pathway to Jesus. Let me read on. And when Peter saw that the address addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or pre, our piety we have made him well? Or we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And when he had decided to release him, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. That is a bold sermon, y'all. That took some audacity for Peter to preach that sermon. Hey, 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 y'all, y'all killed Y'all let, the, y'all let them kill Jesus. Y'all did it. Pilate said he could let him go, but y'all said, no, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And those people standing in the crowd going, Yep, hell's us. It was us. And this was the covenant Jesus was saying. Kill the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witness, and his name, by faith, in his name. He has made this man strong, whom you see now. And now the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Another thing I underlined this morning as I reread this, perfect health. He was in perfect health, perfect health. I heard somebody say the other day, this old boy died. He just died. He was in perfect health, and he died. I want to tell you something. If you die, you ain't in perfect health, y'all. You may, you may have an un, undetected malady, but you were not in perfect health if you just die. Unless you just, God kills you because you're mean. That sermon's coming in a couple of weeks. So y'all just get ready for that one, okay? And Peter and John use this event to remind those who that there was a God, He was a God of covenant, a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he had determined, predetermined that Jesus should die on the cross. You see, the predestined of God is not a people, it's a person. His name is Jesus. And when you're in the predestined, you are in the predestined of God. When you come to Christ, you're in the predestined and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He said he had predetermined for him to die that we might be made right with him. And when they told them that the one who came to deliver was delivered to the ones who held him captive so he then could in turn deliver them. I'm gonna read that again. That was good. Larry, that was good, wasn't it? I'm gonna read it again and they told them that the one who came to deliver them was delivered to the one that held them and then he could then die and deliver them the evidence of divine movement is compelling the hillman standing before the watching crowd drew the attention of Jesus and Jesus is enough y'all Jesus is enough. You see, Jesus is our healer. I want you to write this down. Jesus is our healer. He heals your body. He heals your mind. He heals your relationships. And he saves your sin, sick soul. He heals your soul. Jesus is your savior. You can't come to God any other way except through Jesus Christ. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't do enough rituals. Jesus is the way. You trust in him, and then you're in the beloved. But Jesus is also our, get this word, sanctifier. He is the one who is building a temple for himself out of the rough timbers of your soul. He is in the process of refining and maturing and developing and and calling and drawing you closer to him. Why do we study God's word? So we can become more like Jesus. Why do we want to become more like Jesus? Listen to this. So when I learn to, that I love, I'm loved by Jesus, I then can learn to love you like Jesus. When I learn that I'm forgiven by Jesus, that I can learn then to forgive myself and forgive you. When I learn, when I learn that Jesus is faithful, I can be faithful Because I depend on his faith and not my faith. When I learn that Jesus will deliver me, I can help deliver you. When I realize that he's my healer, I can lead you to the healer. Because he changes me. Why? 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 Because he loves me. And I look at this passage in Acts, and I'm going, how can I bring this all to you? Because I want to ask you, who are you, in this, who are you in this story? Who are you in this account? Are you Peter and John with your head up and you're gazing, looking around? Are you the one who are bringing Jesus to people? Are you that one? Are you that one? Are you the beggar? Day after day, you're sitting in your misery and you need God to do something for you. Maybe you need God to do something for one of your kids. Maybe you need God to do something in your checkbook. Maybe you need God to do something in your mind because you're held captive by an addiction or by an affliction or by a wounding or by an abuse. Do you need to do Jesus, Jesus to do something? In, what do you need Jesus to do? Are you the beggar? Are you the crowd in the temple who are slogging your way through life, hoping religion will get you by when you know there is a Savior who wants to give you life abundant? Who are you? Who are you? Well, this morning, I'm going to invite you to do something Different. I've asked the elders in our church, our prayer team members, to be available to pray with you this morning. And so I want to ask you some questions. What do you want Jesus to do? They're going to come up on the screen. What do you want Jesus to do for you today? Do you need healing of your soul? Do you need to come to Christ? We have people who'll pray with you. They'd love to pray with you and help you. Do you need healing of your body? When we were at the garden tomb, my friend Pastor Larry anointed with me with oil and prayed that my knees would be healed. Why did he do that? Because he loves me. And he and Larry couldn't carry me around Israel. He said, God, you're gonna have to heal him. I can't tote him out. We'll have to quarter him to get out and get him out of here. And I let my friend pray for me. Do you need healing of your body? Do you need healing of your mind? Do you need healing of your relationships, your kids, your your marriage? And Jesus is ready. Jesus is ready. Full of pity, love, and power. Remember that old song? i will arise and go to jesus he will embrace me in his arms in the arms my dear savior oh there are ten thousand charms